Glad you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast. And bringing you the news behind the news. The story behind the story. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. I'd love to hear from listeners. Shoot me an email. The address is right now, Jim Dawes at gmail.com. Or call the vent line and leave your rants at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, this happened yesterday. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Well, of course, you recognize that voice as Chuck Schumer. You don't often hear him quite as unhinged as that. What he uh, says as often as incendiary is what he said there. But he he normally doesn't say it while uh, spittle is dripping from his chin. But that was uh, Chuck Schumer, the minority leader in the Senate, Standing in front of the Supreme Court while the Supreme Court was in session hearing a case from Louisiana to do with abortion. And uh, that, that was about as close to a threat of violence that you could possibly hear without, uh, without being arrested. Chuck Schumer was uh, threatening Kavanaugh and Gorsuch that if, he, if they didn't decide the, ca- uh, the case the way he wanted that they would not know what hit them. And you got to put this all in context. You know, the Democrats have this uh, Antifa movement, a bunch of violent, uh, organized stormtroopers out in the streets that will burn, assault, attack police officers. And you got the, uh, the most powerful man in the Democrat Party, I guess the second most powerful person in the Democrat Party, out there standing in, in front of a, uh, um, a, a protest threatening two Supreme Court justices that if they don't bend to his will, that they won't know what hit them. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. And uh, if any Republican had done this, you would have reporters scouring the halls of Congress demanding that every Republican denounce those kinds of statements. We saw nothing of the, uh, the kind yesterday in response to this, but the chief justice of the Supreme court, John Roberts did issue a statement, uh, calling Schumer out and saying the obvious that, uh, talk like that was not only irresponsible, but, uh, could result in violence. Of course, I mean, uh, Chief Justice Roberts said this morning, Senator Schumer spoke at a rally in front of the Supreme Court while a case was being argued inside. Senator Schumer referred to two members of the court by name and said he wanted to tell them that you have released the whirlwind and you will pay a price. You will not know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. 
Roberts went on, justices know that criticism comes with the territory, but threatening statements of this sort from the highest levels of government are not only inappropriate, they're dangerous, and all members of, of the court will continue to do their job without fear or favor from whatever quarter. I mean, it's really quite amazing. Uh, Josh Hawley, the senator from the the junior senator from Missouri, has um, brought forward a motion of censure for Chuck Schumer, and certainly every Republican and any uh, Democrat that has a scrap of self-respect should vote to censure Schumer. Schumer should take to the floor of the Senate and offer an apology and a retraction. You won't see any of that, of course. Because the Democrats never have to apologize or explain themselves. And while this uh, this outrage was covered in the media yesterday, it will quickly be swept under the rug and uh, and everybody will move on. But again, I've got to say that this is done in an environment where you've got these Democrat shock troops that have shown uh, a, a complete willingness to engage in violence to get you know, to, to achieve their political ends. And Schumer is just feeding the beast. In the second half of today's show, we're going to be joined by Dr. Michael Bussler. He's a public policy uh, analyst and a professor at Stockton University. We're going to talk about the coronavirus and the real threat that it represents, and that is to the, to the economy and, uh, and where we go forward from here. So Joe Biden looks like uh, the odds on favorites. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders is trying to do in the Democrat Party what Donald Trump did in the Republican Party, and that is to sort of take over the party, hijack it for an insurgency. Of course, there's a big difference there. Donald Trump was was uh, pursuing policies in the nation's best interest and to try to try to make America great again. And, and uh, Bernie Sanders is, of course, trying to implement a Marxist socialist revolution. So the Democrats answer for this uh, challenge is to bring back old Joe Biden. The same Joe Biden who helped create all the problems, these bad trade deals, stupid wars, shipping jobs overseas, open borders, all of the, the things that the American Voters brought in Donald Trump to fix. The Democrats' answer is to bring back old Joe Biden, the very guy that was uh, largely responsible for the implementation of these stupid-ass policies. And Biden's couching his campaign in this, uh, you know, these moral platitudes and and uh, pre- pretending. Uh, like uh, the Democrats and the establishment do, that Donald Trump is this existential threat to the republic. He tweeted out yesterday, I have said this many times in this campaign. This nation will be able to overcome four years of Donald Trump, but if this man is reelected, we won't recognize this country in a few years. And that's back to that that old saw that, you know, they they told us if we elected Donald Trump, he was going to, destroy the republic, the stock market would crash, and we'd end up in foreign wars, and everything would be terrible. Well, it hasn't happened. We're at the end of the first term, so they're saying, well, you know, 
He didn't do it in the first term, but if you re-elect him, that's when it, when the stuff is really going to hit the fan. So if you're wondering how stupid the Democrats are and how stupid they can get, stop asking that because they seem to be rising to the challenge. They're, they're about to nominate Joe Biden. And the parallels between Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton could not be more stark. Both of them are... Uh, deeply part of the established order in Washington, D.C. Both of them have failing health. Uh, Neither of them, you know, can um, argue for the change that this country needs because they were both a big part of the problem. And they are both deeply, deeply corrupt. And if the Democrats are stupid enough, as it appears they are, to nominate Joe Biden, oh man, the the campaign commercials from the Trump campaign and the the super PACs are going to write themselves. We got to replace Donald Trump with Joe Biden. (laughs) Yeah, because we can't stand any more of this peace and prosperity. We need to go back to these shitty trade deals and the slow growth this high unemployment and endless wars. We need more of that. The Bernie campaign and, uh, and other, uh, Democrats, uh, that, that actually believe the pablum that the Democrats have been feeding their voters are in a panic, especially their young voters. Here's one of them on Twitter. You know, it's, it's sort of become, uh, I don't want to say monotonous at this point, but these, uh, these Joe Biden gaffes and he is a gaffathon and I, I for one find it very entertaining. I don't know. You know, we play a lot of them as a, a, a day doesn't go by that Joe Biden doesn't feed us a gaff. It's, it's sort of become his trademark, as I say, but, um, you wonder whether or not people are getting tired of it and they're starting to accept it and just, uh, you know, building that into the, uh, um, baking it into the cake when they consider old Joe Biden, but I enjoy it. Shoot me an email at right now, Jim Dawes at gmail.com. And let me know if you want me to stop playing these Joe Biden gaffes or hit me up on Twitter. Uh, but here is a, a little montage I put together of Joe Biden's greatest hits. Look, tomorrow's Superstar Tuesday, and I want to thank you all. I tell you what, I'm rushing ahead, aren't I? 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. It would put 720 million back, million women back in the workforce. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. What's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the... Go, you know... (laughs) You know know the thing. 
Oh my God. The Democrat establishment is so, uh, so determined to hold back the tide and, and uh, reverse this America first movement that they're going to nominate old Joe Biden approaching 80 years old. He's, he's, if, if he does get elected and I'm not convinced that he is going to be able to even make it through the general election, but he certainly is not going to be able to serve two terms. He'd have a hard time, uh, you know, on the trajectory he's on finishing one term. But I really do never tire of hearing those uh, those gaffathons. Let me know how you feel about it. I'll, I'll dial it back if uh, if it's getting old. So Bernie Sanders, he is uh, once again the same boat he was in going up against uh, the last Democrat establishment candidate, Hillary Clinton. And he's out there on the trail trying to foment his Marxist revolution. And uh, he, he uh, in response to the Super Tuesday results, he said this at a press conference. What this campaign, I think, is increasingly about is which side are you on? There has been never a campaign in recent history which has taken on the entire political establishment. And that is an establishment which is working frantically uh, to try to defeat us. Well, I guess, you know, Bernie likes to think of himself as a revolutionary. And so he's, uh, he's saying that no campaign in modern history has taken on the establishment like his. Uh, excuse me. Do you remember 2016 when a guy who had never held public office before and financed his, his own campaign went into the Republican Party and vanquished 17 candidates and went on to win the presidency of the United States. And then, despite the best efforts of the establishment in Washington, D.C., both Democrat and Republican, who tried to spy on his campaign, to undermine his campaign, to engineers, engineer coups that tried to impeach him to prevent him from being reelected. You don't remember that, Bernie? Maybe Bernie Sanders is entering into the Joe Biden territory when it comes to uh, not understanding what's going on. So, uh, you know, after Super Tuesday, the the Bernie bros were freaked out. They thought that they had it wrapped up. They didn't understand that the, the Democrats would mobilize and get all of the these um, secondary candidates to drop out and throw their support behind uh, their their flag bearer, Joe Biden. And here's a clip. This is old Chuck Unger over there on the Young Turks TV responding to Bernie's loss on Super Tuesday. I, look, a week ago, I would have told you, I did tell you, Super Tuesday, I think we got this. Remember, we were talking about Whisper of a Dream. I think it might be over on Super Tuesday. So I'm not saying this for, on behalf of TYT or anything like that. We thought it was almost over. Bernie was going to win. Now it's not over. Now we're in a tie. And now we got absolute dig-in warfare against the establishment. But we didn't start the war. They'll lie about it again. We didn't start the war. They started the war. They've been lying about Bernie Sanders. For God's sake, on Castro, I could give you a thousand examples. Bernie Sanders said the same exact thing as Obama. Well, that's true. Everyone on TV is lying like, oh, my God, what an outrageous thing Bernie Sanders said. Obama said the same thing. No, get, shut up. Don't cover it. Don't cover it. Don't cover it. 
Obama said the same thing. Is Obama pro Fidel Castro? Same exact thing. God damn it, tell the truth. God damn it, tell the truth. If you're not going to do it, we're going to do it, okay? And so you want to go to war, we'll go to war. So there's some more of that incendiary rhetoric. You want to go to war, we'll go to war. And once again, I remind you that they do have people willing to go to war out there in the streets, especially the, the Bernie bros. It's sort of been pushed down the memory hole that a Bernie bro went to a a GOP congressional baseball practice and attempted mass murder. Nobody talks about James T. Hodgkinson anymore. Can you imagine if the shoe were on the other foot and a Trump supporter had, had done something like that? But Bernie is fashioning himself as, uh, as the revolutionary and he's going to take the party down. The only problem is Bernie, Bernie Sanders is a beta. He's a beta male. If he really wanted to lead this revolution, he would insist that Joe Biden promised to support him if he was the delegate leader going into uh, to Milwaukee. Bernie Sanders has promised to support the Democrat candidate that has the most delegates headed, headed toward their convention. Joe Biden and the other Democrats that were running, I guess it's down to three now, have steadfastly refused to do that. So why is Bernie Sanders unilaterally disarming? Why is he why is he promising to support the delegate leader if Joe Biden won't make that same promise? Because the truth of the matter is Bernie Sanders uh while he fashions himself as this Marxist revolutionary doesn't really have the stones to pull it off. Hey, in this uh, this time of the coronavirus and other illnesses and flu season, uh, you ought to run on over to AmericaFirstRadio.shop. That's AmericaFirstRadio.shop. And get yourself some banana bag oral solution. It replaces an IV and uh, rehydrates you with a, a complex of B and C vitamins and other things to keep you from uh, getting dehydrated or after you have become dehydrated. The last place you want to be in this current environment is the hospital run on over to America first radio dot shop and get yours today. It's $15 and 50 cents. You get five bags, free same day shipping America first radio dot shop. So it's been an interesting week. Oh, Mike Bloomberg who spent anywhere between 500 and $700 million. We're not sure, uh, dropped out after, his first foray into the, uh, the Democrats primaries through his support behind Joe Biden, who he had previously said had no chance whatsoever of beating Donald Trump and nothing he said made any sense whatsoever. But, you know, since he's throwing all of his support behind Joe Biden, you have to wonder, well, where is that support? I guess he'll get the the voters in America, Samoa, who actually aren't allowed to vote in the general election to support Joe Biden. But other than that, he didn't have any support to throw behind Joe Biden. And this sort of illustrates uh, something unusual, and that is <laughs> money really can't buy you love. Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer spent way, way more than Donald Trump to try to get elected and neither of them got squat in return. 
because yeah, uh, there is a cost of entry, but if you don't have a message, if you don't have something that the American people are buying and you don't have the charisma in order to deliver it, you can have all the billions in the world. It's not going to do you any good. And I always like to point out that, yeah, Donald Trump's a billionaire and yeah, he financed his own campaign, but he's not one of these vulture capitalist billionaires represented by the likes of Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, who made their fortunes chiseling other people out of their uh, productivity with their, their finance schemes. Donald Trump actually created huge sprawling enterprises that employed hundreds of thousands of people and were ongoing, you know, uh, contributions to the economy. That is not the kinds of business that these two are in. (laughs) Jesse Waters was on the five yesterday and he was talking about Michael Bloomberg and, uh, and his results in the primaries. You you buy an island, you should get to live there. This has to be the biggest con job of all time. Did you know the Bloomberg campaign had seven fully paid staffers living in America, Samoa, for three months? Really? I have to see that expense report. I know junkets, and that has got to be the best junket of all time. There are 40,000 voters in America, Samoa. Mm -hmm. They only got 175 of them to vote for Mike Bloomberg. What the hell were they doing in America, Samoa for three months. Partying with his cash. It's amazing. And and Bloomberg didn't even miss that he was missing a half a billion. This has to be a huge con job. You get 7% of the ad buy. He spent over $500 million. The ad guy, I'm not going to say his name, made $40 million this winter. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say his name. Sounds He's going to have, you know, ex-girlfriends or pretend family members knocking at his door <laughs> with their hands out because everybody knew this guy did not have the political talent to pull this off. Oh, my God. It's an entertaining time to be alive. If you're a political junkie like me, it really doesn't get much better. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that the, at some point the American public is going to capitulate and say, yeah, we would rather go ahead and have, have another four years of peace and prosperity under Donald Trump and put up with his tweeting, even the ones that don't like it. Because the Democrats clearly cannot get their shit in one sock. Molly Hemingway, uh, who is always good for an insightful observation, said this about money in politics. It wouldn't have worked if the people didn't think that. But I also think it's interesting that Bloomberg is out. You know, we had years where people were saying a couple hundred thousand dollars in barely literate Facebook ads from Russians caused Donald Trump to win. <laughs> Here you had a guy spend nearly a billion dollars and he went nowhere. It's a humiliating defeat for Michael Bloomberg. But, uh, just, just rewind a second. That is a great point. Uh, so Russia influenced the election with right like, 200,000, 300,000 dollars in Facebook ads. Is that? And Mike Bloomberg couldn't get more than 50 delegates with five, 600 million dollars. And that hurts Bernie Sanders' message, too, because he likes to say the billionaires control everything. Well, here, clearly, uh, Bloomberg having all this money didn't do as much for him as Biden having the media and the establishment behind him did. I would pick media and establishment. You know, uh, Ma, or, uh, Brett Baer commented two or three hundred dollars in Facebook ads. Well, the number was actually about a hundred thousand dollars, and that hundred thousand dollars was of ad buys were split evenly between pro-Trump and anti-Trump and pro-Hillary and anti-Hillary ads. So the actual amount of pro-Trump and anti-Hillary ads 
was actually about $50,000. It's an absolute mythology, a bold-faced propaganda lie that this troll farm in St. Petersburg was supporting Donald Trump. We don't even know for a fact that they were connected to the Russian government. Hey, we got to run out to a break when we come back. We're going to be joined by Dr. Michael Bussler of Stockton University. We're going to talk about the coronavirus and its real threat, and that is to the economy and to the uh, supplies. We're going to talk about some other deeper impacts of our relationship with China as well. Stick with us. We'll be right back after two messages right here on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot. And Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture. American first perspective. Well, we have really had a wild ride on Wall Street these last 10 days, starting with uh, about a little over 10 days ago, we had the record high Dow Jones average, which was immediately followed by the largest market sell-off since 1928. In response to that, the Federal, uh, the Federal Reserve recently cut interest rates by half a point, sending the 10-year T-bill under 1%, its lowest point ever. And there's talk now that the return on T-bills could enter negative territory. To talk about this, we're joined now by Dr. Michael Bussler. He's a public policy analyst and professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, where he teaches finance and economics. Doc, thanks for joining us. Morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So everybody's retirement funds are all tied up in the market, and everybody's trying to figure out what all of this means. Of course, we have to keep it in perspective that we're enjoying record highs in the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P. But uh, what does it look like going forward with regard to this uh, uh, this market volatility relating to the coronavirus and the, the political situation in the in the nation? Yeah. So um, the one thing investors uh, have trouble living with and what gets them the most nervous is uncertainty. Uh, if you knew for sure what was going to happen, whether it be on the good side or the bad side, you can react to it. But when you have uncertainty, you always tend to think maybe the worst uh, can can happen. So the fundamentals of the economy are still very, very strong. 
uh, consumers' incomes are up, uh, wages are up, inflation is still uh, relatively low, uh, corporations uh, are still making record profits, or at least they were up until the end of uh, last year. Consumer confidence remains very high, and the employment picture uh, continues to look good. So the fundamentals are basically good. What happened was um, the virus, uh, the coronavirus uh, came in uh, China, um, and we don't get accurate information from China all the time, so we didn't know exactly what was going to happen and how bad this this would get. Uh, once last week when um, much of the media said, look, this could turn out to be a, a pandemic, it could cause worldwide recessions or, or worse, well, once investors started hearing that, everybody panicked and sold off everything. Uh, and that happened from last Monday up until about Friday afternoon. Then um, about the middle of Friday afternoon, investors realized, boy, these stock prices are, are so low. Looking pretty good. Um, even if, Looking pretty yeah, good even time to buy. Exactly. Even if these corporations don't have huge increases in profit but just have zero growth, what they had last year, uh, these are very good uh, stocks to buy. So starting about one, two o'clock on Friday afternoon, the Dow Jones picked up 600 points. And then on Monday, the Dow Jones had its largest increase, one day increase ever, uh, going up nearly 1,300 points. <clears throat> then yesterday, I thought the market was going to head up. Surprisingly, the Federal Reserve cut interest rates by a half a point. They usually go in quarters. They cut it by half a point. They think, well, that's a good thing. It's going to stimulate the economy. But what it did is it got investors even more spooked <laughs> and said, look, if the Federal Reserve is cutting interest rates by that much, they must see something bad that we don't see. So investors got spooked. The market dropped 800 points today. Everybody took a deep breath overnight, and they realized that's not the case, and now the market is uh, going going back up again. So people say to me, and they have for the last week, look, what about my retirement fund? I may be retiring. Uh, soon, I'm never going to recover from this. What I tell them is, don't look at the stock market. Take a month or two and just don't look at anything. Come back on uh, April 1st or May 1st and take a look. Things will have normalized by then. Most of what we're seeing is just overreactions to what could happen. Now, I don't want to say that um, the coronavirus threat could be substantial, but it appears that the administration is taking some very uh, strong actions. They're working on developing vaccines and anecdotes for these, and they're doing it in record times. Uh, so although it potentially could be a problem, as of today, there's only been about 108 cases <laughs> Excuse me, in the U.S. <laughs> no, don't uh, do that. I don't want to call. <laughs> I don't have. Don't call from the phone. <laughs> uh, and, uh, there's only been nine deaths, and I don't want to minimize the nine deaths. But right. I think almost all of the nine. I think all nine are in Washington State. Most of them are from uh, elderly people who would be very vulnerable uh, to any kind of a flu um, condition. So I think in in the, in the short term. Uh, the, the Fed cutting rates sort of spooked everything. I think in the long term, that's going to turn out to be positive because what will happen is mortgage rates and interest rates on any kind of loans will start to go down, and that should jumpstart the economy in, in the spring. 
Uh, most economists were forecasting GDP to grow about two to two and a half percent in the first quarter of this year. Um, since the coronavirus, most have uh, cut the forecast by about half a point to one and a half to two percent. Um, so it is having some some effect. But as long as it doesn't spread and, and much further, and again, we don't know what's going to happen, but as long as it doesn't spread much further, I don't see a huge economic impact on a macro basis on the entire economy. However, uh, certain industries are going to get clobbered. Uh, the airline industry is going to get clobbered. Um, we've suspended flights, um, which was a great thing to do. We suspended flights immediately from China, we've suspended flights from parts of uh, Italy and uh, Iran where the virus uh, is a little more widespread. And I think people are just a little nervous about flying. Uh, so the airline industry will be hurt. The cruise ship industry is going to get clobbered too uh, because there are stories if you get the virus on a cruise ship, you end up having to be quarantined to your quarters. If you've ever taken a cruise, those quarters are pretty small. Like so people uh, want to avoid, yeah, want to avoid that. So they'll get hurt. A lot of convention business uh, may also get hurt as you're starting to see some companies saying, "Look, we're going to postpone our conventions." <clears throat> now, um, another issue that we could have is because uh, we now rely so much on China for a lot of goods, and the Chinese factories were shut down. Uh, I'm hearing now that about a third of them have reopened. They'd like to reopen more, but they can't get the workers because the workers are being quarantined. Uh, so some of the products that were made in China uh, to, for U.S. companies, uh, we may have an issue um, with that. Uh, some antibiotics and uh, some pharmaceutical products are made there, and we could uh, run into a little bit of a problem uh, with the um supply chain well we need to we need to we need to ramp up our own domestic production of the pharmaceuticals anyway you know watching these institutional (laughs) investors on wall street especially in this days uh these days of computer investings with algorithms reminds you of a bunch of wildebeest uh you know if if it spooks the entire herd runs one way and then they'll calm down and they'll run another way and it's not based on any uh, rational fear it's just uh based on, you know, a fear of being left behind and and being yeah. the one that gets slaughtered. But it occurred to me yeah. that actually uh, with the Dow climbing so high, uh, it was bound for a correction. And uh, this may actually be a good thing because the correction can occur uh, in response to an actual, you know, actual uh, circumstances yeah. uh, and instead of just um you know the the bubble bursting and everybody thinking we're entering a bear market yeah that's you you bring up a couple of good points you first stated we really should bring some of the manufacturing back to the u.s especially uh for key products like pharmaceuticals and i think that that what will happen not only in pharmaceuticals but perhaps in other uh goods uh too now apple said that their first quarter Profit will take a hit because they make all their iPhones over there and they can't get them. Um, but that's something that should be made up in the second quarter. And in, in other words, if your phone was old and you needed a new one, if you couldn't get it in February, March, you'll just have to wait to April, May um, to get the phone. So some of that will be made up. The travel industry um, will will not. But I think what's going to happen is companies are going to uh, reevaluate. 
um, manufacturing goods solely in in China. That's music Some of to the my trade ears. War, it, it is absolutely yeah, some, insane that we've allowed our economy to become so dependent on a communist dictatorship that uh, has expressed their, uh, you know, their intention to displace us on the world stage. Yeah, they did it because um, it was for economic reasons. Um, when they started doing that after Nixon normalized relations with, with China, um, Chinese workers are very little paid at the time. We started, they were only paid a dollar a day, and they're very productive workers. They produce a lot of output. So the cost to produce is extremely low, and companies said, well, let's go over there uh, to make the uh, uh, products. What we're starting to see now, now Chinese wages are up. They're still way below what the uh, U.S. is, which is why companies continue to be there. But because of these supply chain disruptions, companies, I think, are going to start to look at producing elsewhere. Already some companies have moved to Vietnam and Thailand. I think some of the companies are going to come back to the U.S. Now, in order to do that, because the U.S. wage rates are so much higher than uh, China's, when we bring back manufacturing, it's going to have to be a capital-intensive manufacturing, not labor-intensive. What does that mean? Instead of hiring a lot of workers on an assembly line, you'll see robots and artificial intelligence making these, these products. Fortunately, when uh, the president and Congress cut taxes effective in 2018, they cut taxes for all Americans, the middle class to help stimulate demand in the economy, which it did. They also cut taxes for the upper classes and corporations. That's where all the new capital comes from. So because of that, we've created a lot more capital and it's going to make it much easier to bring some of this manufacturing back in a capital intensive uh, environment rather than a labor intensive. So in the long run, it could turn out to be very positive. Well, that could, that could be positive in, in the manufacturing sector, but I'm, I'm very uh, worried that this rise of automation and robotics and everything will also have the effect of diminishing jobs that uh, we already had here. Uh, most specifically truck driving is, uh, is the, uh, I think it's the number one occupation of middle-class uh, blue collar workers in this country. And, uh, you know, they're trying to, uh, bring forward these self-driving trucks, which would absolutely, absolutely decimate, um, you know, the wages of working people. Yeah. Well, uh, so what, what's going to happen? This is not going to happen overnight. It'll be a, a gradual thing. They'll start bringing out some of these, uh, driverless trucks. It'll be years until this really, uh, becomes uh, mainstream. Um, so the truck drivers that are doing it now should continue to, to earn a, a good living. The thing is younger people will say, well, look, there's no future, uh, in becoming a truck driver, which has been a very good, stable profession. In fact, in many areas there are shortages of uh, truck drivers. So it's a very good, well-paying profession, but as times change, certain professions go away and it will create new jobs in, in other uh, areas. Yeah, I've heard what that argument them- a lot, Professor, uh, you know, the whole uh, buggy whip argument. But uh, it seems like we're reaching a tipping point where, you know, certainly everybody can't be expected to be- become coders or, or computer right. programmers. And at some point, there's there's going to have to be some sort of blue-collar jobs available to uh, to put people to work. You know, work is not just a paycheck. Work is uh, – uh, the place where people get their dignity and their purpose in life and, and uh, you can build a family around. 
Absolutely. And we'll always have need uh, for those blue collar workers. Look, we, we have to build things. We need plumbers. We need electricians. We need carpenters. We need steel workers. We're always going to need those, those things. <clears throat> but as uh, what automation will do, um, it will take away some of the jobs. That's true. Again, it happens over time, but it will create uh, new jobs. People have to repair these machines. I mean, they, they are robots, but they, they're mechanical. Uh, and mechanical <laughs> need to need to be repaired. They'll and, they'll, they'll make <laughs> robots to fix the robots. <laughs> uh, I guess that's possible. But um, what, what? Well, you know, we we is, joke we we joke about that. But you know, uh, deep thinkers like uh, Elon Musk have predicted the the real dangers in in this artificial intelligence uh, combined with robotics. Uh, and and predicted the possible reality of the science fiction world of uh, the Terminator. Yeah, I certainly hope. Didn't it mean to get throw there. you a curveball there, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> no, I, I, I that. I certainly hope it, it doesn't get there. I view this as when you add uh, this automation, it makes workers more productive, uh, and as a result, each worker will be able to produce more output, whatever they do, uh, using these these. Uh, tools rather than replacing workers, which it will initially, it will make the other workers much more productive. Well, let me push that back should, a little bit more on you there, professor, sure. uh, just to, uh, to play devil's advocate. You know, the, the whole, sure. the old, uh, line was increase per productivity increases wages, but we haven't seen that over the last 40 years because, uh, the rise of the shareholder classes have, have sort of, uh, skimmed all of the gains in productivity away from, um, you know, the, uh, the workers. Well, uh, our productivity, and if, um, and if you make the, the economy even more dependent on, you know, capital intensive investments in, in robotics, uh, it seemed like it would accelerate that trend. Well, our, our uh, look in, in theory, <clears throat> a person is paid according to the value of their output. So, uh, if you produce more, you should get, get paid more. Uh, wages were going up now adjusted for inflation. They haven't been going up for very much, but, um, th this thing about wages haven't been going up in, in 40 years, uh, really is not right. I mean, take a look at 40 years ago, people were earning much less than they're earning today. Now adjusted for inflation. I understand that Cost the gains living, right. uh, are, are, are not that, that, that big, but, um, as these machines come out and uh, look at for the last year, the, for the last year, wages <clears throat> on average have been going up over 3% a year, and our productivity in the second quarter of last year, our productivity was up 3.6%. Because so of what the tightening labor market. There, exactly. But you end up getting uh, wages going up, and as long as productivity goes up by the same amount, it doesn't increase the cost to business to produce. Therefore, it becomes non-inflationary. There's no inflationary pressure. So wages can go up without any fear of um, inflation. And what we've seen for the last year or two is, again, wages going up over 3%, inflation uh, under 2%. So workers are now getting real increases in in wages. Well, I would so argue that that's not a, uh, a function of productivity. That's a function of the tight labor market because uh, the president has been bringing uh, jobs back and and um, and type more tightly regulating the flow of uh, illegal immigration. Yeah, and that's certainly true. The tight labor market will drive wages wages up. 
But um, the Federal Reserve was afraid that, look, with this high wages, we're going to get inflation. We're not getting that because the wages are going up, but productivity is is also going up. Uh, And as that happens, there's no increase in per unit labor costs, so we end up with not having any inflationary uh, problem. Generally, I would say, you know, I remember years ago, uh, when uh, probably 40, 50 years ago, when um, you would drive on the highway and you paid a toll to a toll taker. Then they said, well, we're going to get these automated uh, change machines. So you throw in there, it's going to cause a lot of unemployment. Well, what it did was there were, we had no need for toll takers anymore. So you're right. They got partially uh, temporarily unemployed, but then they looked for jobs in the, the growing economy and they were able to move on. Then they, uh, they now have these electronic, uh, where I live, they have an easy pass, mm-hmm. um, and you just sort of drive through the thing while you're uh, moving. So those jobs will go away, but they will create um, other jobs. I say to my, to my students, it's very important for people graduating high school today to go on and get either a skill, either go to college and get a, a, a college degree, or go somewhere and learn a skill That's to right. learn how to do something. And as long as you can contribute to the economy, you really shouldn't have any fear of um, progress. Well, we're getting into the territory that Andrew Yang was basing his candidacy on, uh, the future of work in uh, this country. And I would just ask you uh, before you go, where do you see these expanding uh, sectors that will employ the people that are going to be put out of work due to automation? So uh, right now, um, when we look at our total GDP, about 70% is in the service sector and only about 30% in the goods producing. So um, I don't know how those percentages will change over time, but uh, we'll need fewer people to produce the goods because the machines are going to do it. Rather, we can use the people to provide all kinds of services and we can expand the service sector and services include uh, everything, teachers, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, policemen, firemen, um, you know, those kind of services are the things where we should see. Yeah. But those sectors are already, those sectors are already built out. I I don't want to harangue you over this issue, but I'm very interested in, in your take on it. So there may, so there may be some new things coming up that we haven't even thought of yet. Um, and as technology is being used more to make people's lives simpler and, and better, there are jobs that we haven't even thought of yet that will that will come up. So what are your um, thoughts on my, reducing, my, reducing the work week? Um, <clears throat> I, I, somebody asked me this before, too. I, I don't think that's necessarily um, a good thing. Because then productivity um, I think the would go down. I think the 40-hour work week uh, tends to fit in uh, well. Now, I, I, I don't mind someone saying, well, suppose you make it four 10-hour days instead of five eight-hour days, and certainly that makes sense, uh, too. Maybe the work week will change. You know, let me just say one thing. Um, uh, I, I do a little work with some uh, startup companies in the uh, software business, some of these Silicon Valley um, companies. They have a policy in these companies um, they have no vacation policy. You can take as much vacation as you want. They have no uh, fixed number of hours that you have to work uh, and no hours in any particular day. You set your own schedule and you just have to get your job done. What I found is 
workers tend to take less vacation and they tend to put in more hours, even though they don't, they don't have to do that. So when you end up with uh, uh, workers being motivated and seeing that there are rewards for what they do, um, I think this thing with the work week will just kind of work itself out. We're, we're going to be different than what our parents uh, had, where everybody had a nine to five job and, you know, primarily many people worked in factories and things. Things are changing. This is a, a high technology world. We're going to put the technology to use. It should improve the standard of living for, for everyone. And students, when you graduate from high school, you have to be prepared to be able to contribute to this world. There are things that will start making goods and services. Again, we haven't even thought of yet. But if you're in a position where you've got some skills or you have some uh, education, whatever comes up, you should be able to take advantage of the opportunity. Dr. Michael Bussler is the public policy analyst and professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey. You can find him online at muckrack, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K dot com slash Michael dash Bussler. Or you can look him up on Twitter at M Bussler. That's B-U-S-L-E-R. Professor Bussler, thanks for joining us. It was a, a great conversation. Thank you, Jim. It was certainly my pleasure. Take care. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-957-6209. 800-957-6209. That's 800 957 you know, we really are living in a golden age for talk radio hosts. The, the Democrats and their mouthpieces in the media supply a never-ending stream of ridiculous statements in order to lampoon and skewer. And, uh, and yesterday on The View... Whoopi Goldberg, that that deep thinker, that um, leader in that thought leader for the Democrats, said this. I'm hoping yeah. Dr. Jill becomes a Surgeon General. Jill Biden. His wife. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe Biden's wife, because she's, you know, she he would it. never do it, but she, and she, yeah, she's a hell of a doctor. She's an amazing doctor. <laughs> she's I a doctor like, and PhD. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I, don't, oh, I, don't I could know. be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. she's, she's a teacher, but, you know. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg wants Jill Biden to be the Surgeon General of the United States because she's a hell of a doctor. She's a doctor. She's a hell of a doctor. Yeah, she's a PhD. Whoopee. She's not a medical doctor. <laughs> and uh and and the Joy 
Behar was right behind her. So I, I didn't know she was a doctor. The only one that had any enough sense to correct Whoopi was, uh, was, uh, Megan McCain. Uh, <laughs> so of course this week, Chris Matthews got banished to the wilderness because he complimented women and, uh, and, and yesterday's Washington post, the, uh, the writer, the freelancer for GQ magazine that wrote an article that, uh, that cast him from polite society said, good. I'm glad he doesn't have a platform anymore. And then the daily show put together a compilation of things that Chris Matthews had said throughout the years. Could you get a little closer to the camera? My, what is it? Is it coming in closer? In no, coming, coming further, coming closer, really close. What, what do you? What do you? Doing? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You look great. Anyway, it's thanks, Aaron. It's great to have. Look at that look. Yeah, I'm no, in a you're beautiful. Location. Thank. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're a knockout. Next time the producer has to choose between a picture of more of Margaret Brennan and that oil derrick, that offshore oil derrick, stay on <laughs> Margaret Brennan. Okay, she's a beautiful woman. She's a very bright reporter. She makes us feel good. Bring back Margaret. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Back by popular demand. Happy Friday. And she's six feet tall. Besides, it's good. you're gorgeous. High heels are. A big part of this for some reason. I, I, maybe it's the, your photography, but you, women look great, of course, but you're always shooting the legs, shooting the, the, the shoes. Yeah. So now you're in a wind tunnel. You look great, by the way, in the wind tunnel. Your legs get caught in this. Everybody's looking at your legs, looking at the shoes. We're, we're introducing these gorgeous uh, creatures of God here. You're walking down the street. You're beautiful, boy. I must oh, say, nice you look great. You are, no, you're in great shape. We have got to go to Din Din sometime. You look great, by the way, if I'm allowed to say that. Unbelievable. I'm not allowed to say this, but I'll say it. You're beautiful. I get in trouble for this, but you're great looking, obviously. You're one of the God's gifts to men in this country. Very attractive people physically. I mean, they're beautiful people. Like, like Nikki Haley's gorgeous. And the party decision. will trust Trump to be able to make that decision. Well, I think the party will have a role in it. You see her walk? We, um, runway walk. we just uh, oh heard God, from the likely great. nominee. Be careful. Okay. Okay. With your advances, you're all making with your eyes right now. <laughs> Taryn, you first. You're giving me the peepers, I can tell. What are you doing here? <laughs> peepers? Uh, you are doing it. You're flashing your incredible eyebrows at me. Like, <laughs> Look at that. But you're, it's awful what you're doing. You know, it goes on and on like that. And, uh, uh, and, you know, he came from an age when you complimented women. And, and it's probably inappropriate, a lot of the things he said. But, you know, women dress up to look good. And, uh, and they like to be told that they do look good. You know, you would have thought that they could have gone to Chris Matthews and said, hey, we can't tolerate that anymore. Stop it. But, no, they had to fire him. So that takes us to the end. Thanks for joining us. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is... Hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.